This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It's a great word. We really love it. And uh, we're looking forward to a great breakfast this morning from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, these these verses we're going to cover from 14 to 21 this morning. Matthew 17. Okay, please follow along here. Matthew 17. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is a lunatic sore vexed, oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples. They could not hear him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this person, unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Okay, so here's the scene. The scene before us, the Lord's still coming. He's come down from the mountain now, and he's been transfigured up there on the mountain. So three disciples were with him, Peter, James, and John. There was Elijah. There was Moses up there. And they saw at that mountain, they saw the clearest display that Jesus is God. They saw the glory of God. It was coming out of him on that mountain. And then, then you remember, they got distracted by Moses and Elijah were up there talking with Christ. And then God the Father had to set them straight and say, no, 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 you need to focus on my son only. 
And so they started down the mountain, and they just can't get out of their minds the fact that, that Moses and Elijah, but especially that Elijah was there. They're confused because they've been taught that Elijah was going to do this great work on earth while the, in order to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah is here. The Lord explains to them that John the Baptist took the role of Elijah when he prepared the people for Christ. And this is all happening in a very short period of time. And again, he's coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. And you would have thought that with this display that Jesus Christ is God, that he would have been now shielded from these common problems that are going on around him. But right after that, he's displayed as God. Boom! Here comes his father, and he's got this problem of this son. And just that whole sequence of everything, it just shows that the God in his greatness he doesn't isolate himself from these problems. He doesn't insulate himself. You know, because the Bible says in 1 John 3, 5, he uses this wonderful word, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. That's a great word, manifested. In the Greek, it means to make, to appear, disclosed. And this is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is manifested that he's God. It got himself. And the Mount of Transfiguration, the fact that Christ is God was disclosed. It was seen. And right after this disclosure comes this distraught father. And it shows that Christ was shown to be God to take away our sins, to cure us from our sins. And we might have expected that maybe as he's coming down the mountain, he's just been shown to be God, that the disciples would have said, oh, you know who this is? is God. Out of the way, out of his way, get out of his way. He can't be bothered with these personal problems here. He's God. And this is not what happened. This is not what happened. Jesus is a man who's revealed to be God. He comes down from the mountain, and he stops to help this son, this father, this son. That's an amazing part of the sequence of all of this. And it's very interesting that in the next statement, what it says about this father, it says in verse 14, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him. Now, nobody else is kneeling down to him. This is a certain man, and it just shows how certain this man is, how unusual this man is. This is a certain man. It means that this man has stood out from the crowd. This man is different from all the rest of the crowd. He's unique because then what makes this man a certain man from everyone else is the fact that what it says about him in verse 4, he's kneeling down. No, he's the only one kneeling there. He steps out from all the rest of the crowd there. Man, I was going to say, you know, the Jewish crowd, but that's stupid because everybody's Jewish in this verse, in this setting here. But he nevertheless, he steps out and he kneels down in front of Jesus. No one else is kneeling down. And that makes him unique. So why, among all the people who are, by the way, are referred to in verse 14 as the multitude, big crowd, the multitude. So why is this one man different from all the multitude? Why is he the one who comes out and kneels down? What is it that from this big crowd makes this man so different to kneel down in front of Jesus? Well, obviously, it's because he's so distressed. His son is destroying himself. He's watching this. And so this answers the question, why is it 
you know, why is this man different from all other men? Why is it that this man, among all the great multitude of people who hear about Jesus, but he's the only one certain person who comes to Jesus in this form, worshiping and kneeling to him? Because the, the level of distress was so great in this father, it drove him down. His level was so great, and the level of distress and trouble was so great that it drove him down to his knees to get before Jesus. And if a person is going to come worshiping and kneeling before Jesus, it's because the level of distress is so great that it drives him to that. That's not to say that everyone who was so greatly distressed was going to become worshiping and kneeling for Jesus. But if a person does, it will be because of this father, his problems have become so great, it drives him down. And this man now opens up his heart, driven down to his knees, and now he's opening up his heart to Christ in verse 15 when he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, and he explains he's a lunatic, he's sort of vexed, and oftentimes he's being going into the fire and into the water, and the Father comes with these words. And his prayer to Christ is really the prayer that reveals the heart of a good father. He's the heart of a good father. He says in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son. Those words come from the heart of a real father, who says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Those words come from the heart of any father for his son. When his son cannot pray for himself, as was the case here, Lord, have mercy on my son. Those words come from the heart of a father when his son will not pray for himself, as was the case here also. Lord, have mercy on my son. And there's something that just happens to a father. There's something that happens to a father when he comes to God in prayer and he doesn't, he's not using his son's name. He's not saying, you know, have mercy on Sammy, have mercy on Billy. But he prays to God and he says, have mercy on my son. When a father calls his boy, my son, he's getting close to saying what he's really kind of saying there is, Lord, this is my son. This is not just any kid. This is my son. This is just not any man. This is my son. The son you gave to me. He's sick. He's sick. Just like the mother that did for his son in the account about Elijah when the, her son died, she came. Lord, this is my son, the son that I will never let go of. No matter how far away he gets from God, no matter how separate, I'll never let go. I'll care for him till my dying day, just like Job did when Job prayed for his sons before they did die because he thought maybe they cursed God in their hearts. That's a father. Lord, this is my son. This is a part of me. This is the one I've invested in. Just like David did for Solomon when he prayed in 1 Chronicles 29, 18. 1 Chronicles 29, 18. And he said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, David said, keep this ever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee and give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy, thy commandments. See this phrase, my son, my son, this is what really characterized the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. It was this, my son. This is what comes out so loud and clear in Genesis 22, and especially on that little walk that they took together up Mount Moriah, the Genesis 22, seven. 
just Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, and where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. I mean, when it comes to investing in a son, really putting your heart into a son, there's one book in the Bible, there's one book in the Bible that has the words, my son, more than any other book in the Bible except for Genesis. And that book is, do you know what that book is? Anybody got an idea? Proverbs. You're surprised, aren't you? It's a book of Proverbs because if you want to really understand the book of Proverbs, then you got to look at it as the words of a father and a mother to their son. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. The book of Proverbs is a book of the heart of a father and of a mother towards the son. And that's why you got these verses in the book of Proverbs right off the bat. Proverbs 1.8, Proverbs 1.8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 1.10, again, first chapter, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs 5.20, why wilt thou... This is getting very personal, but they're telling him, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. And then the mother really is talking to the son when she says in Proverbs 31, or the end, Proverbs 31.2, Proverbs 31.2, what the son of my what, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Now, the father now, he comes to Christ, and he explains his dilemma. He says, my son's a lunatic. He's sore vexed. He's falling in the water. He's falling in the fire. And as he's describing this, it's very clear to him, the devil has one goal and one purpose, and it is 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking who he may devour. See, that's it, devour. Catapino, devour, means to drink down, to swallow, to destroy, it's a picture of the grave. The grave says, ah, it's never, ah, never enough, never enough, never enough. The grave is a big giant mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs 1.12, Proverbs 1.12, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. I'm always amazed to watch pelicans. Pelicans are one of my favorite animals, but I love to watch the pelican when it just comes in there and it'll grab up. Uh, sardine or a mackerel hole and boom down it goes and it's wiggling in its stomach and you can see that from the outside that's amazing <laughs> he doesn't chew it or kill it or anything you know he just swallows it that big huge yep and as a matter of fact there was a battle raging between christ and the devil and death on the cross and just when death was about to do that pelican move on Christ, swallow him up. 
just about that, that was the time when Christ turned and swallowed up death on the cross, and that's Isaiah 25, 8. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. The Lord has spoken it. And it's interesting, the devil has this goal. He wants to kill. He wants to devour, swallow up. So, you know, when anybody ever tells me that um, I hear voices, I hear voices, I always say, don't tell me. I know what the voices are saying to you. I know what they are. They're saying, kill yourself. And oftentimes people say to me, how'd you know that? Oh, it would be so thrilling. Wow, wouldn't that be so? You never know that before. Kill yourself. Because that's the goal of the devil. John 10, 10, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come, Christ said. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundant. You ever stood on a balcony of a high building or a roof? You ever had that sort of urge like, chop? <laughs> oh, you're not alone. Just jump. Oh, the thrill of it. Bannister's not that tall. My cousin Stephen Cantor did that. The father told the Lord Jesus that his son was sore vexed. And there's actually more details about this account in the book of Mark, in Mark 9, 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath the dumb spirit, and whatsoever he teareth him, he teareth him, and foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, pineth away. And I spake to the disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth and said, O faithless in generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked, Father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it's cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit and cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This cut can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So the father tells the Lord how he feels so helpless. He just sits there and watches his son go into an epileptic fit. And if you've ever been around a person who has gone into a grand mall, epileptic fit, epileptic attack, you know how helpless you feel. You can't, maybe you get a towel, stick it in his mouth so he doesn't bite his tongue off. That's about it. You can do nothing to get that person out. You just have to wait it out. And the father describes his son foaming at the mouth and grinding his teeth down, throwing himself into a fire and getting burned and at water. And they try to rescue him from drowning. And they say he's shriveling up. All of this is causing all of him to shrivel up, pining away to nothing. 
and the father feels absolutely helpless. He's so desperate, and he further explains to the Lord in Luke 9.38, Luke 9.38, behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child, and lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him, barely leaves him. This is the father's only child. You know, now that, so the father, kind of like Abraham with his only son with Sarah, Isaac, and when God described Abraham's son to him, when God described Abraham's love for his only son, Isaac, he used words in Genesis 22.1, Genesis 22.1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, I, here I am. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, comma, whom thou lovest, and get to the end of the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. So when God told Abraham, he called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, God told Abraham that, in essence, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I understand how Isaac is your only son. Abraham, I understand how all of your love is focused on this one, on, on this one, on Isaac. I know that. He says, take now thy son, Genesis 22, 2. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Well, this is his father with this son. This is his only son. It's his only child. And he loves him, and he feels all the pain when his son goes through these epileptic fits and destroys himself. And the father, he doesn't say, help my son. The father didn't use the word him when he asked for help. The father used the word us. And that's so important. He says in Mark 9, 22, Mark 9, 22, have compassion on us and help us. He says, he doesn't say have compassion on him. Of course, he wanted him to have compassion on him. He's just, but him is just the son. He's just part of the whole gang there. It's the father, the mother, and Whoever else, he says, have compassion on us and help us. And when the Lord told the father that he needed to believe that the Lord had compassion and that he's going to heal his son, and he needed to have faith. He needed to believe that Christ had the compassion. He needed to believe that Christ had the will to heal his son. He needed to believe that Christ had the power. He had to believe these three things. You have the compassion, you have the will, you have the power. This is in essence what he said, you know, if you can believe. And the father didn't argue with him and say, no, 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 I do, I do, I do. He didn't do that. The father accepted the fact that he was a spiritual cripple. He accepted the fact that he was in a state of unbelief. He didn't have the sufficient belief in the power and the compassion and the person of Christ. He didn't have that. And he cries out to Jesus to help him because the father accepted from the Lord that he needed help as much as the son needed help. When he replied in Mark 9.24, Mark 9.24, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That's one of the greatest prayers of honest. It's just being just totally bare naked honest in the Bible of a man who accepted from the Lord this rebuke for not believing in the compassion, the will, and the power of Jesus to rescue this desperate son. And then the, the father then tells Christ of this great disappointment 
that he had. He said, I am so disappointed because I expected that when I brought my son to your disciples and they could not cure him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.